All right. Well, let's get into it. You have, as the title suggested, this week's movies are Psycho Gorman and Fear Street Part Three. Yep. Which I did not add the t- year for Fear Street, but it's fine. Um, this movie. T- so we'll start with with Psycho Gorman. That technically came out last year, but it was uh, like a festival film. Uh, I am counting that as a 2021 film because it was not widely available until 2021 on Shutter, uh, which is a wonderful streaming service. You should definitely subscribe if you haven't. Shutter, if you want to sponsor us, we will happily accept. Yeah, no, this is a movie I've been wanting to watch with you for a very, very, very long time. Um, by very, very long, I mean the beginning of the year, because. You know, it, I, it only got on my radar thanks to um, actually a Red Letter Media, which we'll try to reference as less as possible. Because oh I, my I, god! I just want to constantly just say what Red Letter Media says about this movie. But yes, the internet's favorite hack fraud, Rich Evans, is one of the uh, cast members in this movie as one of the uh, sub villain roles. Uh, but yeah. He gets uh, he gets a few lines in this. Yeah. It's really just it's really just a great gore picture, essentially, with like a, a splash of like Power Rangers aesthetic to it, with like weird acting and some over the top character archetypes going on here. Yeah, I'm but, gonna rewatch the half in the bag on this, but I decided to wait until after we had done this so it didn't influence. Because I watch I didn't watch the whole thing because. As soon as like they started showing like clips, I was like, "Okay, I want to see this. I'm going to wait to uh, watch the half in the bag on it until I see the movie." Um, but yeah, this whole movie is over the top. Uh, let's see here. Found you through Caps Discord and the Yellow Report slash and Buffy fan called me into here. Well, we're always happy to see people in the chat. Uh, that guy, thanks for ho- joining us. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Um, so, yeah, I adore this movie. I've seen it twice now. Everything about this movie is insane. Uh, and that's kind of what I love about it. Yeah. So, Milton, since this is you, this is the one you've been waiting for, I'm going to let you kind of introduce the, the film and, you know, talk about it a little bit before we move into the, the meat of the plot. Sure. Uh, yeah, so basically the general conceit of this movie is... Uh, two kids in a somewhat dysfunctional family, basically while playing a game. Um, afterwards, uh, you know, the boy loses the game, and as punishment for it, he has to basically get buried alive. Of course, this is all kids, you know, just playing a game, so they don't. We don't take things too seriously, but they dig far enough to discover a coffin of sorts, a prison holding this extra-dimensional magical, highly ultra-violent being. Basically called, I believe, the Duke of Nightmares. But who essentially has no true name. They uncover him, take the jewel that essentially is his power source. The girl kind of takes charge with her very aggressive personality and essentially enslaves who she will call Psycho Goreman. Uh, you say aggressive, I say that she's a sociopath in the making. But uh... Yeah, ag- aggressive is a kind way to put it. <laughs> she's, yeah, the, there's the whole thing, I mean, it's been said before that there's an archetype of she's kind of like Eric Cartman, which in some ways I guess is a fair comparison, but she's she's enough of her own character where she kind of 
becomes her own blend of sociopathy. And you get like a Butters archetype, so to speak, with her brother. But fortunately, he's a bit more assertive as the movie goes along. But but oddly enough, I think she ended up being my favorite character because that actress knows what she's in. And for a kid actress, she's surprisingly good. Yeah, she she takes it in confidence and stride, which is not what a lot of kids do in these roles. As, and as young as she is as well. So it was very cool seeing that. Granted, of course, the personality might rub people the wrong way, obviously. But this is a very a very particular character. She commits to it. I got to give props. Yeah. Okay, so then let me ask you this, because this was a thought mm-hmm. I had in the movie. With how insane she is, how aggressively sociopath she is, do you believe she wouldn't just say fuck instead of frig? I think it's because of she she's so idiosyncratic. She has a lot she ha she's so of a particular thing that I think she thinks that freak sounds cool and funny. So she would prefer to say that. She knows the word fuck. I'm more than sure. But I think uh, the writers also want to add some youth to the character rather than trying to make her seem more grown up. So the idea that she has this fake cuss word that she uses that kind of becomes a... It's like cutesy, in a way. Which is definitely an interesting juxtaposition to her incredibly violent personality, honestly. Like, imagine this cutesy girl saying freak instead of fuck, but also making these ball torture weapons like not batting an eye at the human race getting destroyed and or just outright allowing people to get transformed into horrifying brain monsters. <laughs> <Why not? laughs> um, uh, I agree that guy. Uh, child actress knowing what movie she's in is impressive. Uh, and she is definitely an aggressive sociopath. Uh, I think everyone in this movie knows exactly what they're in. Uh, everybody plays it straight. Like, it's never, look how nuts we are. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're right. They do play it kind of for an adorable way because you get what I think is the best scene in the movie, which is the musical montage. Um, and you get the hilarious sight of this like terrifying looking alien just playing the drums for this band. It's great. <clears throat> uh, yeah, and then I guess before we get into the other thing, I want to mention before we get into the actual plot and in a way, how depressing this movie is when you think about it, is the special effects. This movie knows its budget, and I would say probably 99% of the effects are practical. I think there's maybe one or two, like, CGI, you just couldn't do that practically. Um, Effects, and they're not distracting enough to to take you out of the film. What did you think about the parents? The parents are... hmm, It's interesting because... Like, you see see this girl character, you want to know how in the world this sort of thing was able to exist, or allowed to exist. Um, And the parents themselves, I think it's enough to justify it, because you get some of the overbearing mom character, but also the very... um, brooding, but also rather pathetic dad character, you get these archetypes of, like, the... 
I don't know, like the, the dysfunctional family. There, the scene where the dad just has this moment to moment, heart to heart talk with his daughter, saying, "I met this this stranger who I encountered on the side of the road in his white van. He gestured me in, and he showed me his baseball card collection." It's like, it, this movie understands the conceit of, these are how things are supposed to sound and feel just based on the music, but we're going to insert this very messed up dialogue and just go into it. And I, I think the film is aware of what the, uh, the conventions are with how parents are kind of portrayed, and this kind of just really just pushes it down to basically make its own weird, weird quirky thing yeah i would agree with that and you get other men you get other like crazy lines with him because he talks about like he hates being called lazy because his parents called him that the school counselor called him that his teachers called him that and yep. i'm like well i mean you know uh they might be onto something here dude maybe <laughs> um but yeah i definitely see the power rangers influence you mean especially with the like the mom when she transforms and the main I guess she's technically the villain of the piece because the real villain is the good guy. It's that kind of movie. Um they just look like Power Ranger Zords or mm -hmm. Power Ranger Monsters. And it's awesome. Uh but like you mentioned as well, you know, of course Rich Evans from Red Letter Media is in this movie for like five seconds. But I'm glad that they don't make a big deal out of it. I think if you if you knew Red Letter Media Unless you specifically knew he was in it, you wouldn't know until he does the oh my god thing at the, at yeah. the very end. No, it's it's a small but nice touch that like only those who are very familiar with that sort of content would know about this sort of thing. And but yeah, it's nice. It's cool. Were I you uh, were you as uncomfortable as I was during the eating scene? The first time I saw it, I was creeped out, but I guess I've gotten used to it, so to speak. But, I mean, it is purposely horrifying. Yeah. And that's the thing with this movie as well, is it's funny, but when it needs to be horrifying, it is horrifying. Yeah. It's like, the film is aware, of course, this is what people, this is how people would act in this situation. It's like having all of this, um, this, like, mess of contact juxtaposed with this is the normal world. So I think it's a comedy horror kind of situation that we have. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and then, of course, the main, I guess, crux of the film, not crux, but like the main setup of this film is that game that she creates that I still don't understand the rules to. And uh, it's it sounds like it's complete nonsense from what little bits we get. It's like the whole Calvin Ball thing for, for those who are in the know about that. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes, the comic strip, is essentially the idea of like everyone just makes up rules on a constant basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you sort of understand it more or less, but it, it really is just the girls like I just want the excuse to punch someone. That's a very <laughs> elaborate like excuse to punch someone in the face. Well, or she herself was she herself is a very strange person. So, yeah. But, so most of this movie is just kind of them, the kids having hijinks with Psycho Gorman, uh, which is the best part of the film, I think, when they're just doing like weird, silly stuff. Like you mentioned, he turns that one kid into a giant brain monster. 
And I love that the final shot of the film is is that brain monster at dinner because they never change him back. And for some reason, his parents are completely okay with it. I think, well, we see, like, the news footage. I think by this point, it's like we, we kind of just have to accept what's going on by this point. At least we're not getting killed. So, uh, but, yeah. yeah. All right, so should we jump into the ending, or should we jump into just kind of stick with some of the other antics, like the police officer and... Um, I mean, there's there, there's a lot to talk about. I don't know. What do you? What comes to mind first for you? Well, okay. So I guess we'll start with the police officer because that was probably the grossest part of the movie, but it was the like awesomest part of the movie. And yes, I'm aware awesomeness isn't a word. Fuck off. I'm sorry. Frig off. We're watching Psycho Gorman. Um. So these two officers show up out of nowhere. I don't know who called them or like whatever, but it, it's fine. It doesn't matter. They try to arrest him, and he turns one of them into a, uh, like, husk of a person. And, like, his face starts melting and stuff, and he just kind of follows him around. And he has my favorite gag in the film where he hands her, like, this piece of paper, and she thinks it's a love letter. But it just did blood. It says, please kill me. <laughs> and then yeah. she gets pissed. Um, <laughs> what, what, what scenes really stood out to you in this movie where you're like, oh, you know, I love, I like this movie quite a bit. Uh, really just wherever Psycho Goreman is, honestly. I love the costume. I love the, this character, his delivery of really just about anything that he does. Um, he's, shoot, what's the actor's name for PG? Um, uh, yeah, Matthew Nineber. Uh, he is the uh, stand-in, and the voice comes from uh, Stephen uh, Blaus. Oh, okay. And, you know, it's just just about everything, just about, like, the, the whole, like, just, there's nothing subtle about his character. So he'll just outright threaten children with death and violence and parents and whatnot. And I, and I find that it's funny towards the end that he does, like, become a bit more soft towards the humans that he meets in this one town. It's like, Thank you for helping me discover love. I must now use this to destroy the world. Goes into a goes into a portal and just starts immediately killing people <laughs> towards the end of the movie. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna also second what you said. The uh, the practical like suit looked fantastic. Um, but yeah, a lot of the practical suits look great. It's like a lot of mixes between like both sci-fi and fantasy. Um, and I had no idea it was two people, so I have to give it amends for the dubbing as well. Because uh, a lot of the times, especially in something like this, you can tell it's not lined up exactly, or they miss like a lip flap or something, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he is the Archduke of Nightmares, and yeah, like you said, he is he is consistently just evil, but like in a funny way because it is juxtaposed to. These two kids own him. Essentially. Well, you know what this movie is? Just the one, but yeah. You know what this movie is? What? Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. But with gore. I would... Yeah, I guess in some way you could say that. Um, the only reason I might disagree is because at the very least, you know... Well... 
It's like you get a bit of Billy and Manny, but mixed up in its own way to create a very sociopathic female character and a very compliant male character, but who still has some brains to him. But I can, yeah, I can. I mean, the only difference there from what this movie to what you described is just that the boy in this is smarter than Billy. Mandy was a sociopath. Hmm. I need to see more of that show now that he, now we're talking about it, though. Yeah, enjoy. I just put that together. That's awesome. I love that show. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that as a criticism. This is this is doing what all the best films do. It is pulling it, wearing its influences on its sleeves. Um. You got a little bit of E.T., you got a little bit of Billy and Mandy, you got a little bit of Power Rangers, and it shouldn't work, but it does. I really hope that this film was a success. I see here at the box office it only made like 95 grand, but I feel like this is a, this is one of those movies that lives and dies on streaming rights and um, like yeah. Blu-ray DVD sales. I would say so. Most so of my money... Shutter paid them enough. <laughs> Yeah, I would say most of the money probably went to the special effect, to the to the effects and the um, the costumes. Which a is lot fine. of the rest that's of where it should be. Yeah, the movie knows what it wants to be, and it, I think it did very well. Yeah. Now I don't know how what the budget is. It's not listed here on its Wikipedia page. Um, but it, like I said, this was a uh, this was a uh, film festival movie. Uh, it screened as part of Beyond Fest, the Stilges R- Film Festival, or Sightgus, Sightgus. I don't know how you say that, and Monster Fest. Um, and then of yeah. course was picked up by Shutter, which is how I watched it. I don't, Milton. Do you have Shutter? Yeah, I have Shutter. Oh, okay. So yeah, and then we watch it through Shutter. Uh, yeah. I definitely want to do some more Shutter content. But we gotta wait for like schedules to slow down and Yeah. Now what what I am impressed by, especially considering how small it was, you know, budget wise, we also get not a whole lot of people behind the scenes. The same person who did the cinematography also did the editing along with one other person. That person being the director and the writer. So it's a very close knit of behind the scenes people like having a lot of control, but still being cooperative. Oh, interesting. I think that's I think that's why it seems so seamless and the work seems pretty fluid and solid. Throughout. Yeah, because like I never noticed any like weird editing. Yeah, no, it was all it was all um, fairly standard but fairly consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, not, nothing, nothing too flashy or anything like that. But mm-hmm. it was it was very competent. You get the cuts in exactly the right way, like for what some would consider to be in. I wouldn't say amateur production, but definitely low budget. Very competent. Like, on terms of a triple Also, I just have to give kudos to the poster. I love it so much. Oh, it's... There's a whole 90s aesthetic to all this, and I love it. Um, Well, and that was the other thing, is I'm pretty sure this is set in the 90s, but they're not clear about it. I don't think it wants to be. I don't really think it cares, because... But a lot of it is consistent to the 90s. Or to the early 2000s, because you have, like, the Nintendo 64, for instance. That they're That's using. what made me think. Two, the two TVs, um, the, the fashion that, is very well. ambiguous, but you have a kid playing the 64, I'm thinking, oh, it's the 90s. Yeah, but a lot of the, but then you also kind of get, like, some of the news footage, and then it looks a bit too, um, I don't know, too clear sometimes. 
I don't know. But but I'm not too bothered by that. I, and I don't really think that affects the movie or the film that much oh, anyway. So it really is just there for the aesthetic to get like a feeling of nostalgia. Um, yeah. So I guess the last thing we should ask, or well, actually, that'll lead it out of the discussion uh, of, of course, the ending. Um, th- this is a comedy, of course, but it reminded me a little bit of Night of the Living Dead. Not Night of the Living Dead, sorry. Return of the Living Dead. That movie is also kind of an absurd comedy piece, uh, but it is also one of the bleakest movies I've ever seen. When you think about this movie and the way it ends, this movie is depressing because the human race is fucked. Yeah. And the whole universe, essentially, is screwed. Yeah. I mean, granted, someone could put Psycho Gorman away again. It's It was done before. It could be do, done again. But not with that huge cost and lives lost. So but the film definitely takes like a dark comedic route to it. So yeah. So for anyone who has not seen it, and I highly recommend you watch it. But of course, we have a policy here of we we are going to spoil the movie. Like yep. you, we can't discuss the full movie without spoiling it. No. And this has been out for a while. Um, it's going to be harder when we get into some newer movies, but we'll try our best to. Warn everyone. Yep. Uh, they play that nonsense game. Whatever. What? What's the name of the game? Crazy ball. Crazy ball. Yeah. My Calvin and ball. It. Yeah. You and your Calvin ball. And that's what inspired it. Uh, and team hero wins. I love that team hero and team suck. Yeah. Uh, team hero wins, and. Team Hero is the Psycho Gorman team who is the girl and her dad who I'm pretty sure is only there because to spite the mom. Yeah, pretty much. And Psycho Gorman. Is that, was it? I don't know that was on that team. Uh, So it was um on one side, Psycho Gorman, the girl, and the dad. On the other, it was uh, the angel, and angelic kind of figure. Like, the angel, judge, the mom, and Bill. Okay, so it'd be yeah. three on three. Three on three, yeah. Oh, okay. Here's a question. Then what happened to the cop? Oh, the cop. Oh, he died. No, he he, he was he was destroyed in that big fight scene when um, a lot of the minions came back came to the forest. To I must have missed trade. that part. Yeah. Okay. No, it's like it's like O'Gorman like took two big things, and just jammed it into his eye sockets. Oh, just weird. Killed him, and he just deflated. Oh, okay. I must have I must have missed that. Uh, that was kind of while I was setting up my capture card. <laughs> Um, no problem. But uh, they win, and then the mom decides to just change sides because the angel is willing to do whatever she wants, whatever it takes to kill Psycho Gorman. Yeah. Uh, and then they fight, and it's a pretty cool, just like sword fight. Sure. Uh, and then he eats her. And it's almost more horrifying because they don't show you everything. Yeah. You just hear it, and it's just like imagining. You know what's what's happening to her. Yeah, even the characters walk. It's like, yeah, you you don't want to see this. This is. And then, camera, stop losing focus. And then the film ends with them basically setting Psycho Gorman free on the entire planet. But they learn their lesson about family. Yeah, all because the girl decides. Yeah, I just don't friggin' care. Oops. Um. But yeah, Mimi is her name. Uh, 
Very odd name. You don't hear that a lot nowadays. Not, not a whole lot, but it was the 90s. So you it just always reminds me of Digimon. She probably never saw. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's basically it. There's not, this isn't a like deep or complicated film. No. Uh, it's, it's got scary. a family thing in there, but that's not what you're there for. You're there for the gags and the, the wacky. The fam- yeah, the family thing is a, is in a, of itself a gag, essentially. It's a very straightforward movie that has a very, I guess, ir- irreverent tone to it in some ways. Um, that's just there of look at the look at the gore, look at the feel the dark comedy, look at the nice uh, practical effects that are going on. Yeah, it's just a generally enjoyable movie. So, any final thoughts on Psycho Gorn? That Mimi character, man. She straight up says to to Jesus Christ, "There's a new God, and His name is Psycho Gorman." She just Great. completely commits to it. Great, I love it so much. Man, I I, I wonder how do you how do you let a, a girl get to the point where she's so incredibly messed up before she's even in her double digits. So here's the thing with this, at least personally. I yeah. can't apply real-world logic to this movie. That is this fair. movie doesn't care about real-world logic, and that's that what is, I love about it. That is true. That does add a layer of enjoyment to it as well. Oh, yeah. And you know what? In a world where we try to be a bit too logical in our movies sometimes and try to construct things very dryly, it's a breath of fresh air in some ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a wonderful film. Uh, I love movies like this where it's just kind of like, this is elevated schlock, right? Like, yeah. that's, that's what it is. That's what, I love movies like that. Give me schlock all day long. Uh, I am going to give, I'm going to give this a four out of five. I will definitely watch this again. Hell, we've been talking about it for months, but I would love to do a commentary on this movie. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Same rating, same thoughts. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, a four out of five. No, I'm just messing um, with you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much else to talk about with this movie uh, without just, you know, describing it beat for beat, which at that point, just go watch the movie. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so let's move on to uh, pick up from two weeks ago. Uh, yeah. We had to delay this review. Mm-hmm. Fear Street Part 3. Now, Milton, yeah. you were a little more mixed on the Fear Street movies than I was. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like those were made more for me than you, if that makes sense. That uh, would... Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. So, and I'm conflicted on this one, because I like it, just to give some general thoughts up front. But I have some issues with it. But I'm so, curious, what did you think of Fear Street 1666? So for me, I I think I recognize that all three that all three portions of the trilogy are, have been fairly consistent in quality. Um, I this is a very very theme heavy movie to the point where it's the driving force. They really want to put these themes up in front into your face, and I know that's true because the behind the scenes and their own quotes directly stated that's what we wanted to do for this movie. Um, 
for me, I like in some ways the idea of being able to piece, piece things together myself in terms of themes and general commentary and whatnot. But this movie holds my hand throughout it. Um, I like the costumes. I like the set design of 1666. I mean, my thoughts towards 1994 Part 2, I could put into 1994 Part 1. Um, it's a good, we get a lot of our questions answered, um, all, at least all the vital ones. I'm, a thing I'm mixed on that I wanted to criticize fairly is the idea of essentially casting all these other characters that we've had in these previous parts and putting them in 1666. I understand for us from a casting perspective that it's easier to go along with that and from a budgetary constraint because maybe they don't want to cast all new people for this flashback kind of thing. I am I feel a little disappointed though because I feel like I wanted to see different people and perhaps get period consistency. But because I'm because I like historical pieces and um stuff that remains consistent to, you know, historical accuracy. Um we get we get a story that is essentially like a direct parallel to what's happening to our main characters in 1994. I see the purpose behind that. I think it's not very creative, though. I would have liked to have had a, a different story, kind of what we got in part two. But, you know, it's own blend is something very specific to the time period that we get here. But instead, it's just the same story that we get in 1994. Like something that's like a direct parallel to what's happening with, you know, in present day. I don't know how to feel about that. Um, I would have liked, I feel like I, what we got was competent to, for the most part, but I feel like I wanted something more. And I suppose I just don't like being preached to, especially if I disagree with certain things that they say. Also, the lines of good is evil. is like, it, they're really scripting this very very clearly and with like no sense of subtlety to it as well i don't know that's just my thoughts on that in general um i i like the gore i like the effects they've been fairly consistent uh, i do like uh, the period correct uh buildings and costumes yeah i okay I'm going to fight you on just the parts of that, because parts I agree with, parts I don't. But before that, I did want to address something we said in the last review, because I've done a little research since then. Um, Sunnyvale and Sunny... God, why can't I never remember these? Sunnyvale, side. Those are from the books. Okay. So that is... You're just kind of stuck with that if you're going to make this a Fear Street thing. That's fair. Which is fair. Um, but that these are pulling from bits of different books... But these are not any any specific book adapted, which I thought was interesting. Uh, which is what they should have done with the Goosebumps movie, but they made it a slapstick comedy instead. Sorry, I'm still annoyed about that. But anyway. No problem. I don't think it's a budget thing. Because 1978 is also the same story. Almost. Just different pieces here and there. But they cast completely different actors. I think the goal was 1666 and 1994 are repeating cycles and 1994 is where the cycle ends. It comes full circle. Um, 
And I think this should have been two movies. Because neither side gets enough time to breathe. We have to rush through all the 1666 stuff, which really reminded me of The Witch. Not as good as The Witch, of course, but kind of like The Witch for teenagers. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I really liked that idea of this thing has been going on, because they talk about in the first movie, uh, this thing has been going on for years, and it's a cycle. What if it's cycled so long that we've gone all the way back to the beginning 300 years later? It's possible. I, I definitely, I see the possible cyclical nature that they're working with. But of course, that we have like these direct parallels where like this character's in this character's role. You know, the brother's role is in the brother's, you know, place in 1666. We have the good, we have the goods here in this portion. I, I guess I was kind of just hoping if you wanted to construct a story, you could have done the ideas that you wanted to, but done it in a different way, so that I think I have more to chew on. This one, it's like, it's the same. It's, it's like even more of the same than it was in part two. Um, so, and, and I can definitely see that, and for anyone listening, and of course Milton as well, Milton is welcome to his own opinions, but this whole video, this series is about dissecting and debating and talking. Exactly. I think you have a point except for the time period makes all the difference. Because this story is, of course, about uh, uh, Fear. What's her first name? Sarah Fear. Sarah Fear and her girlfriend in the 1600s. Yeah. And I really liked that angle because, obviously, a slasher movie in the 1600s would not have been very engaging. Like, what are they going to do, chase him around with a pitchfork? You know? But I thought there was a certain brilliance in examining what it would be like to be gay in the 1600s or, you know, what the general paranoia of the time was, which a lot of the paranoia stuff is what makes me compare it to The Witch, is that whole movie is about a family succumbing to par paranoia. The issue is this is basically two films in one because we have to wrap everything up because it's the end of the trilogy. So everything in the 1600s feels rushed. And then everything in the 1990s is just the climactic battle, which yeah. feels too long. Uh, I like <laughs> what they do in part one, and I see a continuation of it in part two, so to speak, 1994 part two. I like the gadget tree and sometimes the preparation to getting into it, but it does overstay its welcome in the pacing, I think, towards the end. Um, we get, I think, a bit too much of the mall. I'm also wondering in some ways uh, with Sheriff Good why he wouldn't just, hey, I've recognized the people who are a threat to me. Why don't I just go to my ritual circle and carve their names in so they'll immediately become killers? And that way I don't have to worry about them now. So that's the other thing I was going to get into uh, here in a moment. Yeah. I liked the twist that Seraphir wasn't the villain. Um, maybe I just like twist endings, you know. Uh, and I felt really bad for her in the 1600s part because she is she is basically accused of witchcraft and hung because she embarrassed a guy. So and I I and I'm also a sucker for tragedy and horror, and that the whole 1600 part is basically a tragedy uh, in a way. Sarah 
didn't do anything with it, you know? Same. It was a heroic sacrifice to take all the blame to save the person that she loved. That I will say, regardless of my crucian bent, a heroic thing to do. The and problem is, is that character. when you get to who it really is, and then you find out who it is in modern times as well, it does not feel planned out. Because no. I don't, I watched part one and part two. I meant to watch part three again, but I forgot it was two hours long and I didn't time it right. He just, it, he does that thing that movies do where the protagonist now knows he's the bad guy. So he's a bad guy. There is no hints that he might be involved whatsoever in those first two parts from my, what I saw. Yeah, we, we only get the clues towards the end. And then once you do, you wonder, oh, well, he knows the protagonists are threats to him, so why not just finish it all up and then, but, you know. And also, I just thought about this, and maybe this makes more sense than I'm giving it credit for, but if it's him, why were the killers going after the blood of Seraphir, or not Seraphir? Of um, what's the modern day counterpart, the girlfriend? Uh, what's her name? Shoot, I can't. Uh, Olivia Scott Wench. Yeah, Hannah Miller. Bella's, yeah, Hannah Miller. Yeah. Why were they only after Hannah because her blood dripped on Sarah Fear's grave? If Sarah Fear isn't the bad guy, and yeah, or why is it that dripping the blood onto Sarah's fear corpse would do it? Why do they even have a nosebleed in the first place? Isn't Sarah fear calling for help, I guess? And then the bad guys want to cover things up, I guess? I think the nosebleed is because they curse. They do the curse in 1600s that what he's done, like they will tell people. And I think the vision that Hannah got Okay, I might have just made this make sense. The vision that Hannah gets is the curse that's in the 1600s. Sometimes, you know, you just got to talk these things through. Relates to someone who's modern, and the killer somehow know that she's getting, she's gotten this vision and think that she knows who the killer really is, I guess. I then would wonder why Satan would make so much effort, I guess. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just Sheriff, maybe it's Sheriff Good who's trying to cover his tracks, I guess. Well, no, that's what I'm fail saying. in place, as no, you were saying. That's what I'm saying. The Sheriff Good is sending them after Hannah because he somehow knows that they, she's gotten the vision, but doesn't know that she has no idea what was in the vision because it was all... Yeah, but then, but then if you feel like there's a potential that she knows... And if you know these people are like the, because these guys are into genealogy, so they would know who's related to who. Or at the very least, he would know just based on the fact that they show up at the police station. He, he if he was a confident villain, he would have just straight up killed them or carved their names in stone, let Satan do the work. Well, to be fair, he did carve Hannah's name into the stone. True. You should have done the other one, though, as well. I don't know why it takes so long. There's, I don't know, like, I enjoy these movies. I think I like the first two parts better. Um, I said in the last review that part two is kind of filler, and I stand by that, but I think overall part two is my favorite. 
But that's just because it's a love letter to the Friday movies, which I, I adore with all my heart. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes... I think two might have been a mistake because it's a lot of filler when there's a lot of stuff that we needed to uh, like explore, yeah. or this needed to be more than a trilogy. I feel like in some ways, part two is the one that they really wanted to make, and the rest of them are kind of just justification for having well, that story. See, I don't agree Maybe. with that because I think well, part one no, is you're right. Made. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah, I just know. think that I've they got too that. ambitious. Part part three either needed to be longer, which would have been a mistake, or it needed to be a four-part movies. And 1994 part two needed to be its own film. Yeah, there's... Sometimes we have to roll the punches with certain plot contrivances. I feel like in some ways it's worse when it's a mystery. Because you feel as if you're piecing together a mystery, you want to feel smart as you figure things out along with the movie. But when the mo- it's clear that the movie is not exactly planned out very well, you become a bit more critical of the contrivances. So it, it is the movie's fault, unfortunately. So Now, I will say, I think overall it is a satisfying conclusion, just because you do find out who the real bad guy is. I really like the stuff with like them trying to survive all the killers and like they all come back. Um... And I like the final showdown with him and uh, Dina. Overall, I ended up really rooting for Dina. Uh, I don't know about you. I know you had some issues with her in the first two films. Or mostly in the first one, because she's not really in the second one. I got a bit more used to her. After we get past the teen drama, I've become a bit more favorable to her by just the fact of I have less and less reason to not like her, because we can get past the dumb teen stuff that's in the first movie. Well, and I also like that she kind of, she, it's it's kind of like what I figured would happen, right? Like, we use the killing and, like, the terror as a metaphor for her overcoming uh, the chaos in her life. And at the end, you know, she seems to have kind of stabilized out from this experience. I suppose. That it is a decent theme. I feel like the overall theme, though, kind of fails in this because... It's like a sum total cost fallacy in some ways, where one city can only do so well if the other one fails. I feel like it would have been a true triumph of theme if we could get past the point where, yeah, no, we don't have to go along with, like, generational sin, so to speak. And especially if we undo the curse, there is a possibility where all can prosper, rather than, you know, everything's good now that Sunnydale is now suffering which I don't know how to feel about sometimes. So So, other than that, it seems like a good wrap-up. Thank you. So let me ask you this. Do you think this would have benefited better from being a miniseries instead of a trilogy of films? That is tough. I don't know how to feel. Uh, In some ways, you could have done a miniseries with, like, the different generations of killers, I suppose. But, hmm, I don't know. A miniseries, it might have given them more breathing room and more time to develop things. But then again, write stuff ahead of time, construct it, know where you want to start, know where you want to end, and try to place it together logically. Um, We have about, what is it, like five hours of content in total between all three of these movies? Yeah, because the first two are about an hour and a half each, and then this one is two hours. Many series episodes go for about like between forty and fifty minutes each. 
Well, on Netflix, it's episodes. like an even hour, right? Because they don't have any ads. That's true. Five episodes, maybe six. You could do six episodes, maybe, hour each. Six or maybe. seven episodes. And not all of them have to be like a different period of time. Just take yeah. a couple episodes and flesh out this mythology. Because, you know, we especially now that we're talking about it, I think there's some holes there. Yeah. Now, I will say, don't get me wrong, I'm complaining about some holes in the mythology, but I still had fun watching all three of these. And if that's what they're going for, sure. But you set up a mystery. I want like a conclusive payoff. Yeah. No, and you, you examine the mythology because you're using trying to piece together the mythology to figure out what's happening to the characters. Mm-hmm. If it falls apart, then unfortunately a good portion of the movie falls apart, at least for me personally. Yeah. But at least we get some good stuff. There's enough competent stuff to where this can still be enjoyed. For my money, personally, I'll get into my review at some point. My score. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let me ask you this. How did you feel about Gillian Jacobs in this one? Because she finally got something to do, and I still feel like we wasted her. Yeah, she's... I feel like she's there to be there. Which is sad. Because here's the thing, by the point that she kind of gives her story, by that point she's no longer relevant. There's no reason for her to be around. She's just there essentially to get like some sort of closure, closure over what happened. But other than that, the story doesn't have a huge justification for her to be around. Um, she's a good actress, though. I can't hate her being there. It's just... Also, I also I have to ask as well, because with the revolution, revelation, revolution, that the good family has been doing this since the 1600s, it kind of casts uh, Sheriff Good in the second movie a little weird too, right? Yeah, because they it's like the whole like twist ending thing where you really like Nick Good. Why would you not? He's fairly a good con- guy. Yeah, but of course, then we get into the heavy-handed writing of good is evil. It's like, okay, I I know what you're doing. Oh, he's a cop too. Great. We're dealing into like themes of the other and whatnot in a very, very blatant kind of dry way. So the other yeah. thing, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention as well because I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. And Elizabeth Scopel, Scopel is cast as the real Seraphir. So let me ask you this. Could it be that the actual characters look nothing like what we saw? Because if you remember, everything we see in the 1600s is Dina's vision. Yeah, it's... So, I could make the observation of, yeah, there were probably no free black men inside of the 1600 colonies, which is a very obvious statement that I can make. But I guess it's... I don't know. Is it her processing what she's seeing just with faces that she knows? I suppose that's the only way I can look at it. I think that's the only... I think that's what the story is trying to say. That's... I think you just... You you needed to be a little bit clearer about that. Because I also wasn't sure if... um, but she hasn't seen the face from the faces from part two, but they're there. I think it is from a casting perspective for the most Maybe. part. Maybe. I don't know. It's I, just I people who are, it was just people who were already there. They were like, well, we cast for two of these, but we got to make three. So yeah, everybody exactly. put just, on some like 1600s clothes. Yeah. Just fill in the roles. Just 
be here. And, and you know what? I feel part. really stupid because I didn't think about the black black kid thing either. Yeah. Not saying we don't want, you know, movies with a wide range of actors from what? From many no, different races. Don't get me wrong. I am all for diversity in film, but it yeah. has to be, it has to make sense and in a, what you're doing. It's a period piece, too. And as much as we don't want to admit it, the, this is how things were back then. Oh, no. I, and we didn't, I'm, and I'm sure, the movie, than the more I'm sure the movie didn't want to go into issues of race because they wanted to focus on the uh, lesbian sexuality aspect of it and wanted to focus in on that. But then again, if you want to delve into themes like sociopolitical elements and the other, you could have gone into the idea of like racism. That's fine. Well, you can make your comment because your lead character is... Yeah, I, I got to say, she's at least half. I think so, yeah. Because her brother is, you know. So, yeah. But, of course, we, we don't see their parents at all. So I guess one is black, one is white. I don't want to talk too much on that. I think that's yeah. an aside. Just um, to sum it up, yeah. um, it's a little confusing. I think there's a couple of in-universe things you can read into it. Uh, but they they either didn't think about the ramifications of some of the casting or they didn't care and they wanted to explore more of the lesbian relationship, which is fine because I loved the chemistry between um, Guiana Madeira and Olivia Scott Wel- Welch. Welsh. I thought their chemistry was wonderful in both the flashbacks and current. Um, I really liked the idea of explaining what it means to be gay in the 1600s. But if you're going to make a 1600 period piece, you got to think about those things. The actors all give generally good, competent performances. This is, this is the I movie can't. that gets us blacklisted from YouTube. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, if this entirely level-headed conversation gets us blocked, then, well, I don't want to be right, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but no, anyway. um, yeah, this one's definitely fallen down a little bit. I still like it. But I need. I feel like I need to rewatch it, thinking about these things, see if I notice some of it. Because obviously, you know, the first time you're watching, you're just watching it for like, how is this going to unfold, and what's this going to happen? At least me personally. Um, but yeah, uh, there's not really a lot to say about the '90s part because it's really just a giant showdown with all of the killers again. Yeah, you get the same set pieces um, that we've gotten in previous stuff. It's like we're. We're essentially recycling all the stuff that we've already established and not giving anything new. Um, I like the squirt. I like the squirt guns. The use of blood to kind of actually make things target each other. I then wonder, well, why didn't we go with that earlier? But you know, I still think it's well, great. What do you mean they did the blood thing in the first one? No, I mean like using it to target certain sections. Well. No, no, because you're right. that's, not, that's not a fair critique. That's not a fair critique. You're right. Yeah, because they used the blood to lure the killers into the trap in the first one. You're, you're very right. That was just me silly rambling. So before we get into our rank, our um, score, how, what rank would you put like these three movies in? I would say um, part two, part one, part three. You read my mind. That's exactly what I would say. Yeah, Part two is the most standalone one, but I think it's, at the end of the day, it's my favorite one because it is standalone. Which is a shame because I love a good, like, you know, connected trilogy, but part two is what both helps it and hurts it, right? Because, like, 
it hurt it helps it because it's just a fun standalone slasher but it hurts it because you wasted an hour and a half of your time to tell this completely different story and not build any of the mythology yeah oh man this kind of hurts my feelings a little bit but it's a third movie i mean we rarely stick the landing right we've seen worse much <laughs> yeah. worse so. yeah i've seen worse even as someone who's generally down on this sort of thing. I haven't even made him watch worse yet. Uh, you've, you've seen... We've seen the Day of the Dead remake. Oh, no, I meant worse uh, three worse. Oh, well. Obviously, yeah. we've watched worse movies on this channel. Yeah. No, no, we'll, we'll get there, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I've got a, I've got a few things. Uh, so, Milton, we are at about an hour, if I'm keeping mm -hmm. track of time. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, just my rating. Again, love period pieces. I like that at least they do as much to get the clothing fairly accurate as well as the buildings. I I like the New England aesthetic to it. I feel like in some ways I just want to watch The Witch again, though, instead of seeing this again. I would you like know. to see this concept or, or the done. Crucible. Or The Crucible, which isn't a horror movie, but you know, I would like to see the 1600s part of this concept taken and put into a full-length film, because I think there is something to explore there with not just the like paranoia religious side, but like how terrifying it would be to live in that in that time period as someone who's not nor let I don't want to say normal, but somebody who wasn't normal for the time or what the time standards of normal. And I would say cast new people. That really bugs you. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's like you can you can afford to like take the time to put new people in, so I'm not constantly distracted by weird casting choices or like seeing the same actors but in present time, which I think by itself is jarring enough. Um, I don't know. I, that didn't really take me out of it, but I, I, I hear you. I can't disagree. It just it didn't bother me. I'm going to give this one a three and a half out of five. There's enough stuff in here I enjoyed, but it's 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 the weakest of the trilogy. And I've really come to appreciate part two more. If I had to re-review that, I'd give that a four, four out of out of five at this point. But can't re-review old movies yet. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I want to be fair. I think it's above average, but it's not a winner for me. I think I'll give it a three. All right. Well, thank you guys for hanging out. And as always, thank you, Milton. Um, one other announcement I did forget to mention at the show start. I might try to edit when I re-edit this to re-upload it. I might try to put this at the beginning as well. Uh, but the Hellboy volume, the Hellboy next Hellboy discussion is going to be delayed by a week. Um, if Milton is available next Sunday, we might do either The Walking Dead Volume 1 or a gaming stream. Uh, we haven't really discussed it yet. We're not making any promises, but we might do something to fill that void. We might not. I don't know. But uh, thank you guys for hanging out and watching. Next week, Milton, yep. is what I'm really excited for. Mm -hmm. Do you know what is next week? Uh, Without why don't you looking. tell me, John? Next week is the original Evil Dead and Sinister. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, and we will have no. not one, but two guest stars. 
Unfortunately, the day ghost is not going to be able to make it. Uh, so we will have my friend, who is the one who requested to do those movies. And I believe Doolittle will be joining us, making him the first person to appear three times on the channel. Yeah. Besides, you know, the regular three. Right. Of course. Uh, have you seen either of those films? I have seen the original Evil Dead. I have not seen Sinister. Oh, okay. I was kind of hoping this would be your first Evil Dead viewing, but... Uh... I've seen, seen like, before. I've seen Evil Dead too. I all I usually see things sequentially. So, oh okay. I don't think you need to see Evil Dead one before you see two. But, <laughs> no, but we'll get we'll get into, into that. that next week. Uh, thank you guys for joining us, and uh, we will see you Thursday with our next gaming stream. Probably will be the Last of Us, but you never know. We might just switch things up to surprise you. We'll see. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you for watching. Thank you. Well...